0: Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success.
1: Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. Hi and welcome to another episode of Hire the Smile. All things discussed about human resources and people management, and people, and just people interacting, and, and just people, people and in the veterinary people. profession. We're talking about people, <laughs> talking about us, you, everybody. Hey, Katie. Hey, Michael. As always, joined by my able able partner in this, uh, Katie Ardeline. How you doing, Katie?
0: I'm just wonderful. Just uh, you know, waiting for winter here.
1: Yes, we are in uh, just uh, just outside Toronto, Canada, and we've had up until now the most balmy, mm. warmest autumn in my living memory and but now it's getting cold again, so it's inevitable.
0: I was out at the farm the other day, and the mosquitoes were crazy. like it's October. <laughs> Why are there all these new mosquitoes out here? but it's just been so wet here, you know're yeah. still cutting grass and all that stuff, so it's uh, a bit of a funny one this year for sure.
1: for sure. Hey, before we jump in, we got some interesting um, different uh, articles and subjects, a little uh, hodgepodge Mm. this time. Grab bag. Just wanna take a pause and let's talk about Advice by Oculus, our new service for everybody. We'll be right back. From any business questions to personal obstacles impacting your career, Advice by Oculus has experienced advisors and personal coaches from within the industry to help you be more successful and a more satisfied member of your veterinary team. Each one of our advisors specializes in different areas to ensure we can help you. Whether you are a veterinarian, technician, receptionist, practice owner or manager, Advice by Oculus offers confidential and convenient solutions to your pressing concerns. With three easy steps, you can book your first session at oculusinsights.net backslash advice by Oculus. So Katie, Mm. you thought of a unique approach for this episode and I, I love it. So we each grabbed a bunch of current articles and just thought, let's just sort of riff, talk, chat about brief subjects, not really getting in depth on a specific theme this time. So. You sent me a couple of links, and one of them, I can't wait for this discussion.
0: Mm. I know which one it is. Let's start with it.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: (laughs) The first article that I pulled up just kind of popped across one of my social media feeds uh, is from tlnt.com, talent.com. It's called, This Company Makes All Employees Salaries, Appraisals, and Promotions Public. So this is from September 2021. Uh, And this one really caught my eye because I did feel like this is like a mic panel brass ring type of thing <laughs> that you would want to do
1: can i just stop a second the fact that when you just finally said tlnt actually stood for talent mm. and sitting there going i'm not smart enough to do what they propose if i couldn't even figure that out
0: making connections wow. here for you today i know thank you
1: i'm like the worst person with vanity license place i'm like i have no idea what i mean
0: <laughs> no vowels no vowels Okay, so the company is called 360 learning. And they decided, uh, they didn't say what the timeframe was. But basically, their deal is they've decided to embrace radical transparency. So everything that they do with compensation performance appraisals, who's up for promotion, it's all public knowledge across the company. So everybody knows what each other makes, everybody has access to everybody's else's performance appraisals. And they really divvy up uh, their information. There was a really interesting part in there where they have a, a breakdown of who is a low, mid, high performer between men and women. So they're really, really trying to be transparent in what they do and how they do it. Uh, so, I mean, this is obviously a huge, it's something I've never heard of before being that transparent. I mean, obviously, you know, we publish wage ranges if people get promoted, people know, but to go to the lengths of exposing or revealing people's performance review information. I thought that I love this. I think (laughs) I I can't really think of anyone how to bring this on to an existing company with existing employees, just all of a sudden say, hey, everybody, we're going to make all this public. I can't imagine that. That'd be such a daunting task. But what these guys did is they uh, came up with this scheme. They're company culture is this transparency and trust amongst employees. So I could see how this would be, you know, major trust exercise, having all this stuff being exposed. Uh, one of the big things that they wanted to do this for is that it helps keep people accountable. So you can't really be complacent uh, when you review and your compensation details are on display. Or I guess if you are complacent, then everybody's going to know about it. And it really helps also them with internal calibration. So figuring out what high performance looks like, figuring out what adequate performance looks like. And you know something that we always talk about is people can understand and predict what's going to happen with their compensation based on what their performance uh, outcomes have been. So uh, they've also found that it's great for recruitment. So their salary ranges are public. Uh, and that means that they don't really negotiate at hire. Uh, what you're going to get paid is what you're going to get paid. Uh, and for this particular company, it helps because they're in the 70th percentile for pay. So they pay above market. So that's an easy thing. You know, you don't want to uh, publish your pay ranges. If you're paying below market value, nobody's going to want to come to work for you. Uh, What it looks like, uh, like I said, salary grids are public domain, quarterly performance reviews are public domain, seniority grades, promotion statuses, anyone can look up anybody, uh, and they can filter it by manager to see what their team how their team is doing. And really, this transparency limits bias and favoritism. You know, you can view anyone's track record at any time, which you know I think it's it's really interesting. You know, it, it could give people a pretty unambiguous path for professional development. You know, you could see exactly what it takes to move up at your current company, at this particular company, this promotion. They call it leveling up, which is a promotion into a higher pay grade. Happens twice a year. Uh, they find that it makes it a much easier environment to be fair for everybody so it increases motivation reduces turnover and mitigates burnout you know we talked about burnout before and one of the major factors is feeling like you're getting treated unfairly for what you're putting in and this would help mitigate that for sure so i think for me and probably for you are like well how the heck do they do this like how do you keep things transparent and keep things really equitable And I thought that it was interesting, they were talking about, and what we talk about is having the review process be as sort of black and white as possible. So, have it not be arbitrary. So, they use a combination of OKRs, objective key results, uh, which we've talked about before, clearly defined scopes, and metrics driven KPIs to assess performance. So, it's not just sort of a single factor you know, it's it's a real team environment. Everybody has an impact on, on how successful each other is going to be. Do you have any thoughts so far? I feel like I'm just blabbing away here.
1: Yeah. So it's funny. You're like, oh, my could be all over this. And I'm all on board. And then I just hit a wall, like a huge mm-hmm. wall. And I'm looking at this and I'm going... You know, there's so many variables in terms of this is an HR company. So the kind of people that they're going to attract are HR people and, you know, they would be excited about this kind of transparency. I'm trying to think of my own practice, other Mm -hmm. practices we work with, any kind of small business. And I like the idea of having wage ranges and we do the same thing. And this is sort of the Oculus, our compensation system that we recommend is every position uh, or role rather has a wage range and there is an anonymous 360 review done by peers to highlight the great and the uh, things that people do in other areas where they're challenged based on metrics, um, definitions, sort of, you know, similar to the OKRs that they're talking about here. Where I I struggle with it is, and and let me just back up a bit, and I think most people like that system because. They like, hey, if I do this, I'll get this score. I'll get this raise because compensation raises is tied into this. So it's very Mm -hmm. transparent. There's no, I don't know why I didn't get a raise compared to somebody else. So the part that I'm challenged by is that transparency of everybody knows everybody else's salary. The reason is, is we deal with a lot of smaller practices. Yeah. I know, I'll talk about veterinarians, how competitive they can be. And I was talking to a colleague and they were describing a group of people that they knew who were trying to get into the residency matching program and how competitive it got. And, you know, when a couple of them got the residents they wanted and another one didn't, how the one that didn't still got a residency, but not their first choice. It's just like, I'm as good as they are. Why didn't I get that? Mm -hmm. And I think Oh, I just think it's it's we have a tough enough job as it is, and people by and large, try their hearts out. I just don't know if we have the capacity in management systems mm. in the average vet practice, the ability to attract the people that have the confidence self confidence for this radical transparency for this to work effectively. You know when you look at there have been studies when executive salaries have been released and one of the factors that they say this disparity between let's say go back to the 1970s and i'm just talking north america here because it's not as such an impact in the eu of executive salaries you know, they're all talking about back in the 1970s, the CEO of a company would make, let's say, 10 times what the average worker or employee made. Now it's like in the 200 times. Mm-hmm. And one of the key factors that they said has led to these escalating salaries is, well, all right, I'm a CEO of this company and my salary is public. And I know there's a CEO of another company who's it's not as big a company as mine. And they're not growing as much and they're making as much as me. The system gets gamed, Mm -hmm. and maybe I'm just I'm being too negative on this, and I'm not giving enough uh, credit how people will handle it. I also go back to that theory of just you know you don't talk about how much money you make, you don't talk about politics, you don't talk about religion, because those are all very personal things. And maybe I'm showing my age.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point, but the thing is. I've definitely seen it at places we work is everybody knows what each other is getting paid, you know, and it's in, in Canada anyway, it's illegal to you know stop employees from talking about what sure. they get paid in most places yep. in the States too. So I think, you know, it would take a pretty advanced culture for this to work hundred percent agree with that, you know, thinking, Oh, Hey, let's, if we were going to start a bunch of that practices or, you know, something like that, then maybe this is sort of, Hey, this, from the beginning, these are the people that we want to attract. But I think the part of it that I really like, honestly, I mean, I could take or leave the pay details. But I really like the idea of, um, or I could see potential in the idea of having performance reviews shared or parts of performance reviews shared. uh, Because that's sort of that that next step, you know, ideally, we always try to encourage everybody to get to a point where people can sort of give each other feedback all the time. And to me, this is an extension of that is okay, well, I've got feedback from my peers all the time. So when it comes to my review time, it's not like any of this is going to be a surprise. So why should I have to hide it from anybody? So I I like that. And I,
1: I like that too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I can think of people who would be running for the hills if this sort of thing was exposed, but maybe over time they would get used to it and they would welcome it. I mean, if you go sort of by what you said, people, everybody is trying their hearts out. You know, realistically you're going to have people who aren't trying their hearts out. So to have them know that they were potentially going to be exposed, I think could be a motivator or they self-select themselves out of the company.
1: And I think that's what ends up happening. And, you know, one of the things that I think is key about this one company is they asked their staff before they implemented it. Mm -hmm. And I think they said something like
0: close to hundred percent agreement.
1: Exactly. That this is a really good thing to do. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of nuance and context that maybe hasn't been addressed in this article in terms of sounds like the leaders of this practice are pretty adventuresome forward thinking, and they have certainly hired similar. So it'd probably be easier to roll this out. Yeah. I'm trying to think of some practices that we know uh, and have worked with in the past uh, or practices that we've heard about trying to do this would just be, uh, I could just see the meltdown happening. Totally.
0: Yeah. This to me, this is like the Holy grail.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So,
0: okay, cool uh so let's move on to the second article that i pulled out and it's you know relatively related to the first uh this one's called stuck in the middle the plight of average performers and this is by mark murphy again this is from tlnt and what does that stand for mike
1: uh talent
0: talent uh (laughs) talent.com from earlier in september so this is a shorter article it's not as meaty as the first one but I thought it was really interesting because definitely I saw myself in sort of some of the descriptions of the things that people just assume. So it says that we tend to focus on star performers. So whether they come to us as stars or their star abilities are evident right away, uh, we focus on them and we focus a lot of attention on developing them and, and counting on them to bring everybody else up to their level, et cetera, et cetera. But in reality, most of what you're going to have at your practice at your company are meets expectations employees. And the author asks, you know can we make these meets ex- expectations employees into stars? And you know one thing that he talks about that holds people back are you know the manager it's hard for managers to do this. So you know using coaching, mentoring development, you know it's easier to pick out your stars and give them that attention. Uh, but they talk about how, it's challenging to do this with a middle performer, because you're not really sure why they're in the middle, you know, a star performer, you can usually point out, oh, well, you know, they are highly emotionally intelligent, or, you know, they're highly skilled, or whatever it is that makes them a high performer, they're really engaged. The article says often we as leaders want there to be an easy answer for why somebody is a mid range performer. So we kind of think, oh, well, they're just maxed out in their abilities, they can't perform any better. But what the author is saying is, you need to talk to these people and say, like, ask them why. Uh, you know, and there are things that could be contributing to their lack of star power. You know, a lack of confidence. You know, they haven't necessarily had somebody pull them aside and say, "Hey, you're awesome, and I believe in you," uh, or they don't know how to be a star at your company. They don't know what it looks like. They might assume, well, in the absence of knowing what it takes to be a star, you know, there are these people who get along really well with the owners or the managers, people who went to the same school you know, bros who socialize outside of work, the more extroverted people. It might not be the case that these people who are in tight with management are the ones that get promoted or the ones that are seen as stars, but perception is reality. And I think that that's a really good point, you know, about what might be holding people back.
1: So I read this article yesterday and ended up going to dinner with my wife and I; she's partner in the vet practice, and we had a woman who had worked with us as a student. Uh, you know, volunteered with us before, so you know, has house sat for us, and is working in another part of Canada. And so, she was in town for a course, and we met her for dinner, and then we invited a current veterinarian that works for us now, who would be a peer of this one, and so they knew each other, they worked together. Mm-hmm. And as we were having dinner, I was like, this is how other vets could see, oh, this one vet is maybe a favorite of Mike and Melissa's, and so she'll get the breaks. Right. And not that I could see that happening, because we're very open and give opportunities to everybody. But I, to me, that was a perfect example that if not- You can see how, yeah. Manage this well, that you can see how other people are like, oh, that's how you become a high performer, cozy up to Mike and Melissa. Yeah. And then you'll, you know, so I was like, this is it in action.
0: Yeah, you know, or you have a company, and I'm not saying Mickey Panel is like this, where there's a huge disparity between how people act when the manager's around versus, or the owner's around versus when they're not. You could have some major brown nosing going on. So you're like, oh, yeah, this person's awesome. But then when you get the peer reviews back, the reality is much different. So I think that that's yep. a factor as well. For sure. But yeah, definitely things to think about. And another thing that I thought was really interesting um, that could hold people back, and I could absolutely see how this happens is that your sort of average or meets expectations employees might see star performers who look like they're burning out. So you know, their quality of life isn't great. You know, they're sending midnight emails, they're working longer hours, they're taking on the tougher projects, they're always fixing other people's mistakes. So they might be like, well, this is too daunting, this isn't worth the effort. And I think that this asks another question is, are you rewarding people who are burning themselves out? And, you know, we did sort of, we had that mutual epiphany about burnout a few months back. And you really have to think about, are we rewarding the people who are on the burnout track, you know, and who Mm -hmm. might be leaving a path of disgruntled coworkers in their wake because they're just like, you know, crashing through the forest or they're burnt out or whatever the, you know, however it might be manifesting itself. So I thought it was interesting.
1: But this comes back to one of the earlier points you made that really I caught on to is so often we don't tell people what we're looking for to be a star performer. Mm -hmm. And we just assume, or Mm -hmm. we probably haven't clarified ourselves. And so I'm just thinking of new vets or new technicians or what have you. And it's like, we don't really say this is what outstanding is. And they sort of figure it out. And as we're talking about this, I'm like, this is something that we need to start thinking about more with when you're onboarding new people and the existing people of this is what a star performer is. This is telling the vet because vets are A plus types. Mm. We don't expect you to be emailing at night. We want you to take your time off. And I know there's some people that are listening to this going, boy, I wish I had some vets that wanted to work so so hard that they're texting at at midnight. But I think just like we have in our performance review saying, you know, when we're talking about it being based on a core value, scoring out of, you know, between 7 and 10, this is what a 7 looks like, this is what an 8, 9, and 10, so forth. I think it'd be a great idea to sort of have that description of this is what an ideal star performer is. And there's very different ways because I'm just thinking my own practice. There are those who just will go out and just see a lot of horses in a day. Mm -hmm. while there are others that are outstanding and doing client education that Mm -hmm. helps the whole practice, while others are great with externs and interns. And so I think everybody has... The real positives, but so I don't think you know a star performer can necessarily just be one thing unless you have a very narrow focused job.
0: Yeah, that's a great point.
1: This is I found a fascinating article. Uh, this is something I really want to sort of think on. I think we don't set up these expectations of what our desired behavior is, and in the absence of that, everybody just sort of carries on with their own best inclinations and their own
0: yeah definitely
1: personality, and some of that might not be the star personality type or. yeah
0: yeah well and people come into a job with all sorts of different experiences and home life and like what their parents expectations were like it's just Mm -hmm. when you let people leave people to assume things it just it can be so damaging
1: yeah no thanks for sharing this one
0: i think it really really underlines that importance of checking in with employees and supporting them and you know I, i for some people and i've seen it in in my own work life you know, just telling them, Hey, like, no, you got this, you can do this, I believe in you take a a little bit of a chance, and I'll be there to help to catch you if you fall. Sometimes that's all it takes for somebody. And I think that we have to remember that, like, it's not just about the grand gestures and the people where you're like, Oh, my gosh, this person's gonna be wonderful. And I know we're right from the beginning. It's like, no, let's, let's burn the semi precious stones (laughs) a little bit, and give them some support. So I have like, you know, one take or a couple take-home messages, like you said, it's defining what a star looks like and also making sure that you're checking in with people and you're you're figuring out how they're doing and you're giving them a little bit of coaching. And, you know, I think this also underlines the importance of providing basic performance coaching skills to your managers and really to to the star employees, maybe as well.
1: Couldn't agree more. So we're gonna have a little shift. I've got uh two articles and they're pretty well the same theme and I just This is a subject that I'm fascinated by, and I just, every time I see an article on it, I'm just, I'm bookmarking it to read it later, but I just, so I've got this real collection of these ones talking about the great resignation of people, particularly in North America, quitting jobs, leaving the workforce, what have you. And so particularly in the US, there's a real gap between how many jobs are available and how many people are trying to fill them. So this is an article from the Washington Post uh, of October 12th, and it's called, The Record Number of Workers Are Quitting Their Jobs Empowered by New Leverage. And that's what I thought. What's this leverage? So Hmm. 4.3 million people quit their jobs in August in the United States. That's nearly 3% of the workforce. That is incredible. And so there has been a lot of discussions about why, The easiest one was, well, there's so many government uh, systems, a support system, handouts. It's taking away the initiative to work. And some states ended these federal uh, subsidies expecting once these were taken away, people would go back to work right away. And it doesn't happen. More than anything, I think uh, we all have to look at that. And I think this is a key thing because people... There's our ideology about things and what, you know, and, and that's fine. But the, here are the facts. And the facts are they've looked at several states and they said there really has not been an increase in employment numbers once these support systems have been taken away. And and so the question is, you know, why are people leaving? Like, what what's going on here? And so Professor Anthony K. Klotz from Texas A&M mm-hmm. says there's really four trends of the Great Resignation that's going on and he uh, came up with a great resignation. So he said, first of all, there's just a backlog of resignations, people that have been wanting to quit for the longest time and it's just sort of been building. And, and now that you know, the US and most of us are starting to come out of COVID, they're like, all right, job market's strong. There are other places I can go to, I have the confidence. So people really only quit jobs when they think that there's other positions available for them out there. Number two is burnout. You're just all through the pandemic, people are just burned out. And so now it's like, I'm, I, I'm done. I don't care if I'm not going to make as much money. You know, I'll do some side hustles. I'll, I'll do DoorDash or Uber or whatever. I just, I can't do my job mm-hmm. anymore. The third is, I think, a really important one is the shift in identity. And that is the realization. I think this is why restaurant workers, people in the hospitality, retail trade, are at the highest. So what is it? Restaurant, bars, and hotel, the rate at which employees are voluntary quitting, 6.8%. Retail mm. trade, 4.7. Healthcare and social assistance, which is probably is closest to us, is 2.7. People are just fed up with getting paid poorly, yep. In miserable working conditions with abusive clients. Yeah. And I think this is really shifting, and this ties into my next article of Most people, and the pandemic has highlighted it when we're all like, oh, these essential workers that are out in the grocery stores doing deliveries and we need them, we need them. These people are like, yes, you do need me and you're paying me like crap. I don't want to do it anymore.
0: Yeah. Or when, you know, they got the bump, the $2 an hour bump and it got taken away when the pandemic was far from over and grocery stores were making money hand over fist.
1: For sure. I think that's the other thing is that employees are looking at, oh my gosh, the CEO is making gazillion dollars a year. They're complaining about how much they have to pay us, you know, to get even a, you know, a minimum wage, you know, increase. It's just enough. Yeah. I don't trust you, you don't trust me. We have horrible working environments. I'm done. And I'm going back to school. I'm going to do something else. And then the fourth one is and about 20% of the people is resistance to going back to the office is that there are so many jobs. And this doesn't really affect the veterinary industry, but there are so many jobs that you can do work from home. And people are like, if you're forcing me to go back to the office five days a week, I'm quitting and I'm going to find a job somewhere else. And so they had a lot of anecdotal stories and just uh, of talking of people of why they shifted jobs. And really, the theme is people are paid poorly. Working conditions are horrible terrible managers and people are like there's got to be a better way and that's i'm going to do that so this to me is a huge Mm -hmm. focus on us as as practice owners practice managers co-workers what have you is pay is great we got to be paying people what it's worth but we got to take care of people better
0: yeah i think that's a huge one brain
1: surgery i know it's huge insight (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: And we hear this time and time again from practice managers, and it's not necessarily tied into, you know, how to make more money to pay people more, but it's just sort of how to make more money in general. And, you know, we have practices that haven't raised prices in like 10 years, and they're so worried about what their clients are going to think. And it's like, well, what about your employees?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: I'm sure, you know, if you haven't raised client prices in 10 years, you haven't been, you know, keeping up with employee wage range increases as well. So it's sort of all tied together. for Sure.
1: Yeah. And then I had, uh, you know, sort of as as I was sort of mulling over this whole thing and this great resignation, and in Canada it's it's a fever pitch of corporate groups buying out practices. Mm-hmm. It's a wave, and it's all across North America, Europe, Australia, New Zealand. It's everywhere, and I just like you know what? It's now the great resignation of owners because as I was mm. reading this list of burnout and shift in identity. And I think a lot of owners were like, okay, I don't mind this when I have a smaller practice. I have a good little team around me. COVID hit, the intensities of practicing in COVID, the challenges that we're facing now to uh, uh, find and attract staff. And I was like, I wonder if this is the great resignation of practice owners. We're like, I'm done. I just can't take the responsibility. I don't want to be an owner anymore. It's not what I wanted it. And that's why they're so much more likely to sell.
0: Mm
1: yeah thought just came to my head might be all foolishness oh gosh okay last story and this sort of goes in about prices and wages is uh an article from axios which is a uh, uh really uh, something i read every day from october 15th it's just a political economic journal this is what a profit margin squeeze looks like and basically is talking about prices and consumer price index, but really, because we're talking about inflation, all, everybody's facing rising inflation. I think in Canada, it's the highest now that it's been since 2003. And if we're not raising our fees accordingly, what we're starting to see is a lot of veterinary practices. We are busier than ever. I fear many of us are actually losing profitability because our costs are going up significantly. The cost of labor is going up significantly. In Ontario, I can just speak our own little area, just because of the competition for vets in uh, a market that has a real labor shortage, starting salaries have increased in some areas 20, 30% this year alone. Signing Mm -hmm. bonuses, retention bonuses, everybody is just trying, you know, it's this race to the top of, you know, we all talk about the race to the bottom and pricing is that you're going to, somebody can always be cheaper and the end result is neither of you are making money. Well, the inverse of this is true. Somebody can always pay more or offer more for a vet, but then also we all wake up one day and go, crap, I don't make any money anymore, and I'm, how can I deliver great medicine? How can I afford great equipment? How can I afford CE for my staff and veterinarians? So I think it's going the other way, and to a certain degree I think it's great because I think as a profession we've been woefully underpaid, but if we're not raising the fees we're charging our clients, our profitability is going to be hit and it's going to be hard to dig out of that because you just can't all of a sudden in a year from now go, oh my, we've lost 10% of profitability. We're barely holding on. We can't afford to buy new equipment. At that point, you can't raise your fees 20%. Mm-hmm. But if Over the last five years, you were raising them, I don't know, three, two 2.5%. You could have. It's going to be a challenge, and I think as much as veterinarians, as you say, don't like raising fees because they think about their customers, they've got to think about their employees, their business, and their ability to deliver excellent medical care. Mm -hmm. Those are my articles.
0: Love it. Uh, Okay, so what we thought we'd do in place of, you know, we've been switching between productivity hacks and wins and fails, HR wins and fails. And in the spirit of trying something new with our grab bag format this time, we thought that we would answer a question, a viewer-listener question. So obviously, people ask questions, we answer them, and uh, this goes along somewhat with the theme of what we've been talking about today. So today's question is, what do I do when somebody wants a raise and it's outside of our regular raise season? So this is a great question and this happens all the time. And best practices, uh, first thing is to really not be annoyed when somebody asks. I know um, no matter how long I've been doing this, when somebody says, hey, I think I, I need a raise, you can kind of get off on the foot of like, oh, geez, well, don't you think we pay you enough? And you get a bit defensive about it. But we have to try to dial that back and don't react right away. So I think a big thing is to acknowledge their courage in asking, you know, it could have taken them like eight months to build up the courage to ask for a raise. Uh, And I think we need to make sure that we acknowledge that. And then ask for more information, say, tell me more, tell me, you know, your rationale, let me know what's going on. Shows you're curious, and you really need to get enough information. So you know, if it's an appropriate request, because it might absolutely be. But you need to tell them, you know, this isn't uh, just up to me, I need to do my research, I need to talk to people, you sort of don't want them to to think that it's whether I like you or not, you know, there has to be things that we look at to put together a response. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we need to make sure that we're actually considering the request. So, you know, internal parity, are they getting paid fairly for what they're contributing? And also looking at external comparisons. So it's been a little while since you've looked at your pay scales. And like you've talked about, wages have gone up a lot in the last eight to 12 months. Make sure that you're in line with what other businesses are paying, or at least your, you know, if your philosophy is to pay above market wage, making sure that you still are above market wage. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts so far, Mike?
1: No, hundred percent agree. And I, and I think it's that research, it's that gut no. Uh, at the same time, if you do come back and say, I'm going to give you a raise, make sure that there's a reason yes. other than you feel guilted or pressured or if you don't do it, they're going to leave you. Because I think people respect like, no, I can't give you the raise you wanted. I can give you this mm-hmm. raise and maybe it's less. And this is why. And I've I've researched, you know, I've looked at. Uh, I've talked to colleagues seen what they're paying. I've looked at, you know, state or provincial or country metrics of what people are getting paid. And I think this is appropriate.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, something to think about, we've talked about this more than once before is if they've just come out of a special project or somebody left and they had to really fill in for two people or something like that, you know, considering a one-time reward. So whether it's a bonus, a straight bonus, or it's offering them a CE opportunity or extra paid time off or something like that to recognize that particular thing. And then when wage increase time comes around, then their performance in that area can definitely um, feed into your consideration for when you're doing their evaluation. It's like, okay, well, was that a one-off thing? Like once in 10 years, they did something excellent or is this a pattern? Are they, you know, moving into that star performer category?
1: Oh, look how everything just ties together.
0: Oh, my gosh, it's HR. It's beautiful. Um, <laughs> but I think one thing too, is to and this can be difficult for people to hear is that there's a limit. I mean, a job is worth only so much, which is why we have pay ranges, you know, and if they want more money, they might have to move on to a different role in your organization, or ideally, they would stay at your organization, but sometimes some things are just aren't possible, depending on what their their expectations are and what role they're in. So it can be easy to sort of get, oh, they've been here for 25 years. So every year I'm going to give them a 5% increase. And then you're sort of like, you're you're stuck with a top heavy raft of of people who might not necessarily be performing. They're just there so long that you don't know what else to do with them. So I think that's something you have to be careful of for sure.
1: For sure. Or if you're doing it that way every year, and then one year you're not because it's like, oh gosh, I am paying too much. If they've had the expectation and they're not going to get it, then you've got some annoyed people. Totally. Understandably so.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think overall, this underlines, I say it again, the importance of reviews. So if they are, or the importance of at least having those check in meetings, it's not necessarily a formal review. You know, you could have somebody who's decent or above average and how they accomplish their tasks, but on the soft skills side, they're a disaster, like they're disruptive or, they really take a lot of uh, direction, you know, they don't take initiative on their own or something like that. They might not really even be aware of that stuff. And you say, right. you know, they, they think that they're performing well and you're like, yeah, but you're a real pain in the arse to work with. And if that's the first time they've heard it when they're asking for a raise, then you've done something wrong as, the, as a manager. Sure. So I think that that's something to keep in mind as well. If, you know, say, hey, yeah, you're great on the skill side, but you know, you're bringing the team down for these reasons and then you give them things to work on, then that's a different matter. And I think that's perfectly reasonable, but it's hard when it's a surprise.
1: Good one. Good question. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I like that format. i uh, love to hear other people's feedback if they preferred that or the deep dive into one subject. But in any case, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Katie. Right on.
0: Thanks, Mike. Veterinary practice would be so much easier if all we had to do was treat our patients. Instead, we also have to deal with the realities of running a business, keeping and retaining staff, attracting new clients, and maintaining profitability, to name just a few. Veterinarians also struggle with managing the always-on mentality clients expect of them, while trying to maintain a livable work-life balance while also managing student debt.
1: When you add in the uncertainty and volatility of the world outside our vet practices, the business aspect of veterinary medicine can take away the pleasure of being a veterinarian, practice owner, or manager. Fortunately, we have a solution. Advice by Oculus provides online personal performance coaching and business advisor sessions that are convenient, accessible, and confidential for the veterinary profession.
0: Personal performance coaching can help anyone develop confidence, motivation, and engagement. Your coach helps you identify what is holding you back and how to overcome these obstacles so you can reach your full potential. If you are struggling with your career and the negative impact on your personal life, personal performance coaching is for you.
1: We all know it can be very lonely leading and managing a business. Often we find ourselves having to make decisions that can have a significant impact on finances, staff and the overall health of the business without the confidence that we have considered all options before making our decisions. Having a personal business advisor with the experience and education for veterinary business management can help you clear a path to business success. We have been in your shoes and know what it takes to move forward. Advice by Oculus. Consider it like telemedicine for your business or career. Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next
0: time.